Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, News and Analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Saturday, November the 13th, 2021, and we will be rebroadcasting the show on Monday, November the 15th, 2021, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 82nd post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos. We have what I believe is a sensational show for you tonight. It puts the whole immigration discussion in the proper light. We discuss free trade versus fair trade and delineate the differences. And we include our interpretation of how to discern what is really going on in the world from that which we are acculturated to believe. All this and more. Stay tuned and enjoy. It's my great pleasure to have back on Bringing Light into Darkness, a friend and an example of social activism in the Austin South Border area, and that would be Josefina Castillo, and she is with the Austin Tonsurca de la Frontera Group. They have an annual event that promote fair trade from folks that produce products and from different places. But first, for people of our audience that are not familiar with your program and its mission and some of its history. Can you just take a minute, Josefina, and share that information? Uh, sure, I will. Well, for those who don't know about Austin Tan Cerca, we work on economic justice in Austin and in uh, South Texas. And part of our economic justice program is not only to take delegations to the border to speak with workers in the maquiladora sector, but also to promote alternatives to free trade. And one of those alternatives is based on fair trade. And fair trade meaning a direct exchange of products between producer and buyer and consumer Mm -hmm. with no intermediaries. in between, so that everything that is sold is by the producer goes directly from producer to consumer. So that allows for all these producers to have a fair economy, either at the workplace or in their homes. So since 2004, we have organized this Women and Fair Trade Festival by the end of the year, and in this case, it will be Saturday, November the 20th, at the Syrian Universalist Church of Austin, UU Church, which is on 4700 Grover Avenue, from 10 till 6. It's only one day, Mm -hmm. and we invite seven cooperatives from several parts of the world 
like India, Palestine, Guatemala, Mexico, Ecuador, to sell their lovely crafts, which are handmade, and all the profits go directly to benefit the communities they represent. Let's talk first just a little bit. I want to extend the segment a little bit because, number one, you mentioned something very important, free trade versus fair trade. And when you hear people say, well, you know, I got to pay for my overhead and these types of things, you know, that's part of any business. But there's another Mm -hmm. there's another relationship that goes on in free trade that's not there in fair trade, which is I am hiring you and I am paying you a wage. You produce a product and then I sell it and I give you just a small percentage of whatever value you create, or lesser value. And with the fair trade, it's taking out that free trade notion. So I think it's so important because we do a lot of shows on bringing light into darkness in support of those governments that have come to power throughout Central America and Latin America that tried to move towards a more fair trade notion rather than a free trade notion. In other words, they tried to uh, cut out the special types of opportunities that corporations may have to pollute without being accountable for it or for safe, mm-hmm. safety issues around working conditions or these types of things. And of course, once they start doing those types of things, those governments are labeled as too progressive or communist, you know, just this kind of language. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. We are overthrowing governments like the Zelaya government in Honduras in 2009 or like time and time again in in these other countries when progressive leaders have come to power. We've helped coup them out of power and stuff. So I don't want to get too political here, but I do Mm want to just share with our listeners how important this concept of fair trade is versus free trade because there was NAFTA and there was other types of free trade marketing and programs that sought to be promoted by our government and particularly by Obama with the Trans-Pacific Partnership Program Mm -hmm. that really would have resulted in huge power going to corporations and none to the producers. And here you are producing and reproducing this event every year where people can meet producers and buy from producers. Anyhow, can you explain Mm -hmm. that a little bit more from that perspective, why, why this is such an important event? Sure. I think it's important because the producers themselves are the ones who come and offer their product. So it's not, as you say, it doesn't go to any factory or any corporation. It goes directly to benefit the communities, and that's the important thing. And they themselves, the ones that come, for example, the women from Chiapas, they themselves are the producers. And at the same time, this allows them to keep their traditions, you know, because that's very important, keeping the culture alive. That's very important. And through this women and fair trade, that meaning fair trade, then you allow to continue with those traditions. And, and that's the important thing that people have has to recognize as well. Very it's good. not it's not only getting their products, but it's also allowing to continue to foster these traditions that are so beautiful because there are beautiful textiles uh, mm-hmm. based on very ancient traditions, and they they keep this is a way to keep it keep them alive. 
Very good. So uh, let's let's talk about the location once again and the date. First, the date. When this is traditionally, it's a two or three day deal, but with the COVID, you all are reopening for just the one day. What day is that again? And what is the location? Yes. Well, it's only one day, which will be Saturday, November twentieth, at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, located at uh, forty seven hundred Grover Avenue. And the marketplace will be open from 10 till 6 p.m. Well, unfortunately, I will be out of town. Whenever I am in town, that's that's where I go for I to know, support. Yeah. I know, yeah. I know you're a Anyhow, I'm gonna have to. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to get with you ahead of time to maybe set aside a couple of items. But, Josefina, again, if people want more information about the work that your nonprofit does, what's the name and in in the website for your nonprofit? Yes, uh, the website we have is ATCF, which stands for Austin Tan Cerca de la Frontera. A, T, as in Thomas, C, as in Charles, F, as in Frank, dot O-R-G. And there, if you scroll down on the front page, you will get directly to the information that I am giving out right now. Mm -hmm. And people will know who the cooperatives are. You Mm -hmm. know, that will take you to the the page that we have uh, devoted to the Women and Fair Trade Festival. Outstanding. Well, thank you for your work in the community, and uh, we will look forward to following how, how this important market uh, unfolds. So good luck to you. Sure. Thank yeah. you for inviting me, and, uh, and have a good night and uh, a good uh, trip to wherever you're going. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. Josefina Castillo, thank you. Okay. So we wanted to continue our show first with some reflections on fair trade versus free trade. So the issue of fair trade versus free trade is essentially an issue of real democracy and democratic institutions on the one hand versus social systems based on the endemic inequality that by definition is inherent in social systems driven by material and oppression of the majority populations on the other hand. Today, we have unconscionable levels of wealth inequality. According to a recent 2020 report by the nonprofit group Oxfam, entitled Time to Care, Unpaid and Underpaid Care Work in the Global Inequality Crisis, published in January of 2020, and an earlier Oxfam report entitled Even It Up, Time to End Extreme Poverty, they both clearly document the following staggering reality of world wealth inequality and its oppressive ramifications. The richest 1% of the world have more than double the wealth of 6.9 billion people. Among that 1% are the world's 2,150 or so billionaires, who in 2019 had more wealth than 4.6 billion people. Oxfam has worked out that if the world's two richest men sat on their wealth that was piled up in $100 bills, they'd be in outer space. So I looked up what constitutes outer space, and apparently that's where our atmosphere ends. The Kármán line is based on physical reality in the sense that it roughly marks the altitude where traditional aircraft can no longer effectively fly. Anything traveling above the Kármán line needs a propulsion system that doesn't rely on lift generated by the Earth's atmosphere. The air is simply just too thin that high up. Anyhow, this Kármán line is some 62 miles above sea level. 
So imagine a stack of $100 bills that is 62 miles high, and you can approximate the wealth of the two richest men in the world. Moreover, as a country, we are starting to appreciate the inhumane and exploding problem of human trafficking, particularly of women and children. But what gives rise to such an environment that would germinate and tolerate such criminality and immorality? We return to Oxfam in its 2020 report findings. Women and girls put in 12.5 billion hours of unpaid work every day, according to the International Labor Organization, cited by Oxfam. Women's unpaid care work has a monetary value of $10.8 trillion a year, leaving women and girls over 15 time poor and, quote, unable to meet their basic needs or to participate in social and political activities. Not only that, but globally, 42% of women, Oxfam reports, of working age are actually unable to hold down a job because of their unpaid care responsibilities. This 42% is compared to 6% for men. This is what such gross rates of wealth inequality promote. Namely, its reciprocal cause and effect is the unconscionable rates of poverty and extreme poverty that currently plague our humanity. In fact, arguably, such levels of wealth inequality are responsible for and create as a byproduct or side effect, if you will, the vast majority of the human misery in the world. We argue that as an empirical fact, that we are acculturated to be blinded to this fact and to have the tendency to blame one's material dearth and lack of wealth not on the oppression of quote-unquote social irresponsibility, but on their own lack of individual quote-unquote personal responsibility, allows this crime against humanity to remain largely hidden from public scrutiny. However, wealth inequality does not afford only material benefits. Wealth inequality affords that small minority class with immense power in all realms of public life. They disproportionately impact legal legislation that often enables laws or lack of laws that enable unethical behaviors that maintain and often accelerate wealth inequality and other forms of unfairness. This all points to a systemic problem. Take, for example, the results during economic downturns in our political economic system. With the example in front of us right now with the COVID epidemic, incredible wealth transfers have occurred to the most wealthy since the pandemic began. What kind of system shuns the needs of the majority population and creates windfalls for the minority part of the population. Who were the sectors of population that were more susceptible to the overcrowding issues and having to go to work and engage closely with other people that promoted the promotion of this horrific epidemic? Why were not safeguards made a priority for these most vulnerable folk? Was it because of their economic disposition? The character of this social system we live in is further revealed following the recession of 2007, 2008. Who were the quickest to recover? Who have failed to recover since the recession as a result of failed government policies that rushed to protect banks that were too big to fail, but literally have abandoned the working class families of America. We are acculturated to believe that we live in a land of democracy, but if it is a democracy, it's a democracy for the few and not for the majority, which is the antithesis of democracy. In this land, for the democracy of the few, with their privileged position, they disproportionately have the power to shape society and its laws 
in their own collective interest. Tax loopholes, paying millions to hide billions in offshore accounts, paying inordinate campaign donations to all sides of all elections in order to assure that they maintain special access to policy legislation, creation, or legislative opposition that may impact their privilege. But perhaps most importantly, what their inordinate amounts of wealth affords them is the ability to disproportionately influence public opinion. Those that own media clearly have greater access to shaping opinions and beliefs of the underlying public whose informational environment is dominated by those public medias of TV, radio, newspapers, and other dominant forms of news and cultural influences. With respect to the concentration of media and media ownership, there are a number of articles that have cited the increasing media concentration in fewer and fewer hands. We have documented this in the past and have included in that documentation excerpts from an article, The Dangers of the Concentration of Media Ownership, published in February 8, 2021, by Kia Raupula from the BerkeleyHijacket.com site. And basically, it is just documenting the concentration of media to the tune of 90% of our media is owned and therefore controlled by just six media conglomerates. Therefore, is it an empty or unsubstantiated conspiracy theory to suggest that those that control information inordinately control not just information, but the beliefs and attitudes of the underlying public? And if the wealthiest disproportionately own the ideas of the epic, it can preclude and likely does restrict equal access of ideas in historical and current information into the public domain of discourse. And this means a dearth and absence of dissent ever reaches the public ear, a dissent that may challenge and seek to reverse the outcomes of the oppression in the form of poverty, in the form of unjust wars, and egregious levels of wealth inequality that exist, and that I would suggest are all intertwined and that they are all the direct beneficiaries of. But to be clear, the most dominant factor when it comes to oppression is the gross disproportionate ownership of wealth that we described earlier. Because what it creates in its wake are the horrific levels of poverty and extreme poverty here in our country and worldwide. And poverty literally kills in measurable and quantifiable ways. Science has shown that when poverty comes, disproportionate amounts of stress, food, housing, and other living challenges follow. There is a developing abundance of science to support that finding that poverty kills, such as that done and published by researchers at the Brookings Institute in February of 2016, in which they analyzed life expectancies for men who are among the top 10% of earners and those who are among the bottom 10%. For men born in 1950, the bottom 10% life expectancy was 14 years shorter than for those among the, the top 10% of the rich. Dr. Arlene Geronimus and her colleagues found the same or greater outcomes and named the stress-generating living conditions that additionally included the impacts of racism as well and named this quality of life and life year robbing process the quote-unquote weathering hypothesis. So it's not just that those in poverty and extreme poverty have greater life challenges day in and day out, and therefore face greater rates of trauma and stress throughout their lives, in addition to a more challenging quality of life 
according to science, is a life expectancy loss of some 18% than that of the top 10% of income earners per the 2016 data. So we turn now to the question of how did such wealth accumulation in the Great Wealth Divide come to be? What enabled such a reality, and how did we get there as a human species? I have come to believe through my research, with complete conviction and sincerity, that when and if we develop and appropriate an honest reading and understanding of history, it becomes uncomplicated to deconstruct and understand how this riddle of how we got to a place where so few have so much and so many have so little came to be. And this becomes a primary concern because of the repercussions that such inequity creates in the form of unimaginable levels of misery for fellow human beings, most of all of which is caused by the institutionalized inequality created, again, that is not created naturally, but created by the behavior of other human beings. The creation of such a status quo of inequality is based on a history of colonialism and neocolonialism marked by violence and subjugation of majority populations led by a small minority of interconnected interests. In fact, over time, they have evolved and learned to weld that power, increase that power, and consolidate their economic and military dominance by acting not alone, but as an international power structure, if you will. History also reveals the heroic resistance to that oppression by those that are on the other side of that oppression and have taken the greater brunt of that oppression. So tonight, we started the show off with a free trade versus fair trade discussion with our guest, Josefina Castillo, in which she mentioned the Fair Trade Festival at the First Unitarian Universalist Church on Grover Avenue here in Austin this upcoming Saturday, November 20th. The producers come from around the world and include Ilda Ramirez, who had been in sanctuary to avoid to return to Guatemala and the risk of violence therein, and was granted a one-year stay of deportation. She will be selling handmade Guatemalan dolls, amongst other Central American products being made available at the Fair Trade Festival that features, again, producers from throughout the world. This free trade versus fair trade topic is connected to our largely politicized immigration problem at our southern border. Why do so many Central Americans flee their country? We will show in tonight's show how U.S. foreign policy investment and the U.S. foreign policy that largely seeks to control the governments of these countries in order to prioritize profit-making opportunities for U.S. corporations over the welfare of majority populations' economic security, that it is this that is the driving primary force that creates these unlivable conditions that these people seek to flee from in seeking U.S. citizenship. But before turning to this more current history of U.S. foreign policy and its impact in Central America, we first want to turn to the history of conquest of the New World as the engine that largely initiated the process of wealth disparity that we find ourselves in today, and as the engine for the accumulation of capital by different colonizing powers over different epochs from the late 15th century through the early 20th century. We do so because this understanding is a prerequisite to understanding how such egregious levels of wealth inequality have developed to its unconscionable present-day levels. Arguably, you could argue it started with the conquering of the New World by the European powers. 
Eduardo Galeno, in his book, Open Veins of Latin America, Five Centuries of the Pillage of a Continent, released in 1971, he describes really the pillaging of the New World by the colonial powers at that time. He describes the impact of European colonization on the New World and the enslavement and near extinction of indigenous peoples that followed. The Spanish and Portuguese conquest of the New World marked the decisive beginning of that Western European capital accumulation. In 1492, Columbus discovers Hispaniola, soon to become Spain's first permanent New World colony. And of course, Hispaniola were the combined countries of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. Eventually, though, the Spanish and Portuguese, their imperial influence gave way and was supplanted by the more powerful French and English colonizers. In 1697, the Treaty of Ryswick, Spain officially ceded the western third of Hispaniola to France, which renamed the colony Saint-Dominique, which of course later was to become known as Haiti. By 1789, with the help of imported African slaves, French colony Saint-Dominique produced three-quarters of the world's sugar and led the world in coffee, cotton, indigo, and rum production. This wealth, generated off the backs of some 450,000 slaves, was instrumental in fueling the French economy and military into one of the leading world players at the time, just as the British West Indies did so for UK. Meanwhile, French ownership of the Louisiana Purchase was primarily functioning to supply the necessary goods needed for the slave-driven profiteering of Saint-Dominique. And in fact, the sale to the United States of the Louisiana Purchase in 1803 coincided and was connected to the very first successful slave revolt in history that expelled the French from Saint-Dominique which later, after the successful independence, was renamed Haiti. But before we further detail the Haitian slave revolt, the first successful slave revolt in the history of the world, we need to take a pause for the cause. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. We will be back in a flash. Don't touch that dial. 